hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still, that is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their terror with ghoulish delight. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the haunted mansion. I am your host, your ghost host. <laughs> Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Welcome to our October 30th, 2017 episode, and uh, if you're listening to this on Monday when it's put out, you will uh, be synced up with the calendar when I say that tomorrow is Halloween, the 30th, 31st, I should say, is always uh, Halloween every year, and you may uh, celebrate that in a small way, maybe you take your kids trick-or-treating, maybe you're not going to do anything this year, maybe you always go in and and shut off the lights in your house and... uh, you know, try to hide out so the kids don't knock on your door. There's all sorts of people um, that participate or don't participate in all sorts of ways. And a little bit after our break, we're going to talk about Halloween. We're going to talk about some associated themes that we think about or that people talk about at this time of the year. Um, But before we do that, we had a voicemail this morning that I wanted you guys to listen to. And I don't know who it's from. Now, when you call into the voicemail, please let me know who you are. I can guess, as you'll hear, that this voicemail is from Northeast Ohio, so somebody in my area, but I don't know who it is. Um, So if you're out there and you're listening, you say, oh, well, that was me. Uh, Please (laughs) do let me know who this is, Uh, but take a listen to this voicemail real quick. Well, hey, I was calling uh, because I really love the podcast, and I just wanted to ask, uh, what should someone looking into free Methodism get into besides your one podcast, uh, particularly in the realm of Northeast Ohio? Thanks so much. Well, in response to the voicemail, I was trying to think, of course, we've talked here on the show um, about local camps, and of course, that's something local in the Ohio area that you could uh, be a part of, that you could um, uh, go to, and that's in the summer, and sometimes they have some events at those camps in the winter. Um, but I was I was thinking about this, I remembered uh, a woman that I have uh, met many times and that I know, her name is Zonda Haas, and so I decided to give her a call. She's on the line with me now, and she um, is in charge of the Ohio Conference Historical Society, um, and she has a, a whole, um, well, Zonda, tell us a little bit about um, what you have set up down there. Okay. First of all, um, we are historic in that uh, the campground that our museums um, are uh, are are in uh, is the campground that the Free Methodists um, in Ohio purchased in 1930. It's 33 acres of, of um, wooded land and. Um, 
and now obviously a lot of cottages and a big tabernacle and um, some dorms, um, um, another welcome center. And so um, it, it was only um, appropriate, we felt, that um, that we could have the Free Methodist, Ohio Conference Free Methodist um, Historical Center uh, placed uh, there on the on the campground. Uh, in in the year two thousand, um, a group of uh, Free Methodists and former Free Methodists decided to form a nonprofit corporation called Mansfield Christian Camping Ministries because the Ohio Conference was selling the campground. And we felt beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was using, uh, wanted to continue to use that ground um, for Christian camping for children and youth. And so that is how things got started with even having a, um, a free Methodist presence there. Um, we we follow pretty much what the Book of Discipline says and did a lot of things. Um, as far as theologically, that's that's where we're we're based. So, so as I say that. Um, uh, we were able to uh, select uh, a couple of cottages uh, side by side, as a matter of fact, and um, and make them into um, a, a museum and a kind of a center for documents and things like that. Um, and that has been going on now for about uh, about six or seven years, I believe. And so, um, in in our one. Uh, cottage, um, we have furniture, we've got pictures, we've got um, uh, files on uh, all of our pastors who have ever passed through, um, and that we're talking back in, since, since 18, um, 18, excuse me, yeah, 1876, as, or 1878, excuse me, is when we became um, uh, a, a true conference uh, in the in the, the Free Methodist Church. So, uh, as I said, uh, it's been a it's been a, a wonderful journey. Oh, we have things like at uh, one church, um, I was able to get puppets, and yeah, we're talking about good sized hand puppets. And so we have a whole room just decorated for children um, with flannel graph, um, with um, some baby dolls, with puppets, um, with even, uh, if you folks remember, the, um, uh, in, in ICCM, International Child Care Ministries, where the cardboard stand-up children um, mm. used to be carried around. Well, we got two of those those kiddos. Uh, we got them from headquarters uh, that, nice. that they're guarding now and welcoming folks <laughs> into the um, into the museum. Nice. So um, I don't know what else, uh, Josh. It would be um, uh, interesting for the folks to know, uh, with the exception that even though the the ground. The campground is, is, a, is seasonal. We open up Memorial Day weekend. We close up in mid-October, and we have our annual time together in on Labor Day weekend. But during the year, um, even though it's cold, <laughs> we uh, 
we we can certainly let people go through the museums, uh, but uh, we prefer that folks could work out uh, a schedule to come in the warmer months, uh, anytime from you know uh, mid-April through uh, well mid-May, even through um, mid-October, coming on the grounds and and, um, and seeing what we what we have. Um, it's interesting stuff. I'm thinking even like dinnerware um, that that belonged to some of the the, the prominent women um, through the years. Um, we've got Bibles, we've got communion sets, we've got even a time capsule <laughs> from mm-hmm. one of the churches, um, and we opened it so you can okay. see what what will be inside it. And um, just and we have books, we have a library. Um, that has been given to us um, through the years, I mean, with some particularly different pastors who have retired. So uh, with that, it's, it, it really kind of, I think, rounds out, and you can, you can kind of understand where our heritage has been. Um, you get a chance to, to see a lot of pictures, and, um, and again, like besides books and reports, um, we have yearbooks, and things like that too to kind of help out. So, if somebody is also needing to get information, I mean, truly, it, it, either on a pastor or on church or church history, um, this is we would we would have information um, that, to, to guide those folks along in in their project. That's great. Yeah. So so. Anybody who, um, if, if you're interested in history out there, you want to know, uh, Zonda was even telling me earlier, if you're a pastor in the Ohio Conference, they have a file on you, even if you're still alive. So, you know, they get, they're starting the history on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Josh. Pastor Josh. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I got to check out my file next time I'm down in Mansfield, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, how... Anyway. How would somebody get a hold of you to uh, find out more about scheduling a time to go down or to, to talk to you mm-hmm. more about it? Okay, I will first of all um, give you a phone number and then I will give you an address. All right. Great. The phone number um, is a cell phone number. It's 419-589-9874. And if you get uh, my voicemail, it starts out, Hello, this is Mansfield Christian Camping Ministries. How may I help you? So um, you will know that you've got got the right uh, phone phone listing. Then um, I'm going to give you my my home address. I live in the Middletown. It's the Youngstown, Ohio area, and so my address is 9800-9800 Felger, F E L G E R Road. New Middletown, that's two separate words, New Middletown, Ohio, 44442. And I'm going to spell my name out. Some folks um, wouldn't know how to uh, uh, spell my name, so I'm going to give it to you. It's on the Z-O-N-D-A, and my last name is Haas, H-A-A-S-E. And uh, as Josh said, I am the Ohio Conference Historian. It's been a, it, it's a wonderful job. It's just, it, it's a, it's a gift that God has given me. And, um, in terms of just 
let me have all kinds of fun <laughs> yeah. collecting collecting my heritage and your heritage um, for um, for prosperity and at least uh, to be able to to uh, enjoy it for as long as we're here on this earth. Yeah, that's cool. So if anybody out there has any, uh, uh, you know, personally, of course, go down and, and or or. Uh, get some more information but also if you have any questions about you know you want to know some history of your church or you know maybe you remember a pastor from many years ago that was there and, and you want to know some more information on that pastor whatever um, you know you can call that number or uh, maybe submit a if, if there's a certain form or a, maybe something that you're looking for you could submit a request send send a letter in if if you'd rather do that um, over to Zonda but Thank you so much for letting us know about that, and uh, hopefully you'll hear from some people soon. I sure hope so. Josh, thank you so much for thinking of me. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye now. Bye. It is the day before Halloween, um, at least when this episode is being put out. So um, I did want to take the time here to talk a little bit about some things about Halloween. Now, I'm not going to get deep into the holiday itself. Of course, there's all sorts of debate and has been for many years. And I'm sure there's many people listening to this that, uh, you know, are on different sides of the fence. Some people who who would say, hey, you know, what, it, it, it's fine. You know, pe- kids dressing up, going out, getting free candy from the neighbors. I mean, what could that hurt? And then there's other side, the other side of the debate that says, you know, oh, well, the roots are very pagan and, you know, celebrating the dead and all this. And, and you know, they would be upset. So <clears throat> there's the two different sides. So we're not going to get into kind of that argument or that debate today. But what we are going to do um, is talk about a, a couple different aspects of it. And first of all, I just want to uh, mention about the trick-or-treat experience or event itself. And and I know some people, for some people, it's already maybe happened this past weekend. Um, some people, it's on Halloween night. Um, different neighborhoods and different communities have different nights that, you know, the mayor and the, and the city kind of designate as that specific night, as the trick-or-treating night. And they usually, you know, of course, designate certain hours. And again, as we said earlier, maybe you're one of the people that kind of lock down the house or maybe you pass out candy. Um, and I, I didn't really have any strong feelings on this um, for most of my life as far as should you or shouldn't you pass out candy, you know, that kind of a thing. But I heard in more recent years a pastor talking about trick-or-treat, and he made a, a pretty good point. He said that, you know, um, most times in the year, you're trying to get, you know, people to come to your church or you're trying to interact with people in the community, and it's it can be hard. You know, you come up with a great idea for an event um, at your church or whatever, and, it, you know, people may or may not show up, but this pastor made the point to say, well, this is the one time that he could think of in the year where pretty much, I shouldn't say everyone, but the majority of people in your community, especially the majority of families in your community, are going to be voluntarily coming up to your front door. Now, of course, that raises all sorts of questions because, of course, this pastor's talking about what an opportunity you have to share the love of Christ with people, but 
then, of course, that question pops into your head. Okay, so me passing out candy as a Christian, I mean, how how is that going to be different than the atheist that lives next door to me and that's passing out Kit Kats? You know, it, it doesn't really, you don't have the time. Uh, a kid comes up, says, trick or treat. You drop in a, you know, a, a dum-dum you know, sucker, and he walks off, I mean, you don't really have the time to, to set yourself apart or to have a conversation, right? I mean, how do you do that? So, well, I heard what that pastor said, and I thought, well, that's really smart. And of course, there was that second question that came right away that I said, well, you know, how does that play out? That doesn't seem to make sense to me anyways, because it, you can't, you don't have time to witness the people in this event. So again, I went back to saying, eh, I don't really know. But then I saw a couple that actually lived this out. They actually lived out something pretty interesting in a pretty unique and amazing way of uh, doing something. Now, I know a lot of churches have the trunk or treat events and they have, you know, fall harvest parties on the same night. And they, they have different um, specialty things that try to get the kids to come to the church building instead of, you know, out in the community and they reach out to them in there. But there was this great idea um, that I saw played out by a Christian couple um, that set them apart from everybody else, not only on the street, but in the entire neighborhood, because I've never seen anybody other than this couple do it. Um, and it's something that would be really easy for every single person here to do. And that is, most of the kids, what are they doing? They're going out and and uh, they're trick-or-treating, but they're not usually going to do that without their parents, right? Their parents are going to go, and their parents are going to stop at Usually, maybe maybe they'll they'll stand at the bottom of each driveway and let their kid go up to the house, and they'll kind of watch and make sure everything's good. But the parents are out there on that cold night, and they're walking around, and they don't really get anything out of it. Maybe the kid, you know, gives them they they take a piece of candy out of there. You know, that's that's great, and they get to see their kids smile and have a good time or whatever, and that's fun too. But this couple decided to set themselves apart and to be kind of a to minister to the parents. In a, in a way that was actually needed on a cold night was to set up a little coffee area right outside. And they had a, a plug right on their front porch. So in their case, they had a Keurig, you know, one of those uh, single cup coffee makers, and they were able to offer all sorts of different flavors and, and different flavor creamers and say, you know, hey, for any parents, you know, they had a little sign, I think, near the road that said, you know, coffee, free coffee for the parents. And the parents would come up and, and it would be a little bit longer of an interaction, right? Because they'd have to sit there and they'd pour the water in and which kind do you want? And they would get everything done. And, you know, it wasn't that they were able to share the gospel with every family or anything like that, but they were able to set themselves apart as somebody different. And of course, now these families, when they come back and they go through the neighborhood this time, this year, they're going to be looking for that family. They're going to say, oh, I remember last year, this, this family gives coffee out for the, for the parents, and they're going to stop by, right? And they're going to maybe be able to have that ongoing relationship. And of course, hopefully it's more than one night a year. Hopefully it's more than Halloween. But I want to challenge you out there to think about how you, not only at your church, because those, those are good events, you know, to have the trunk or treat and to have those events that get the kids into the church in unique ways. But I want to challenge you to think about this Halloween trick or treat event. And uh, I want to challenge you with that question, you know, to think about that that pastor asked many years ago to say, what other day of the year do people voluntarily come to your door? And then I want you to think about what could you do? I mean, maybe uh, what could you pass out or what could you do for especially the parents who nobody usually caters to them? You know, that day is all about kids. And so how can you maybe cater to the parents from your home, setting yourselves apart 
and then you have that extra little bit of time, like if you do the coffee, um, you have that extra little bit of time while you're getting it ready to just ask them how their night's going, just to just to be a friendly face, and you don't have to, you know, say, hey, would you like to uh, have a few minutes for a Bible study? It doesn't have to be that, of course, right? I mean, um, but but you can show love and set yourselves apart in the community. So I wanted to mention that first as a part of this Halloween discussion. Now, of course, anytime we talk about Halloween, um, we don't just think about, or our mind doesn't just go to kids getting candy or, or, you know, people going door to door one night a year. We think about, you know, people dressing up as not only the princesses and the, you know, care bears and the whatever, but we think of mostly these spooky creatures, right? We see the ghosts and the go- the goblins and the ghouls and the, uh, you know, vampires, and now they have the even even weirder stuff. You got the bloody faces, and it's kind of kind of creepy sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this all, of course, leads us back to we know that's you know not real. We know vampires, um, you know, and Frankenstein and and all of those things are not in reality. Um, but when we have these sorts of conversations, it's always interesting for me, at least, to go back to Scripture and to determine some of the things that that aren't as clear to me, and have big question marks after them. At least to me, and this is one of those episodes that after you listen to it, I would love to hear your thoughts and to hear your responses, whether my email on the voicemail or um, if you could go on the Facebook group, because. We're going to talk a little bit shortly about ghosts here. Now, I know as soon as I say that, I say, you say, well, of course, that's, that's like Frankenstein and, and vampires. That's, that's fake. You know, ghosts are fake. Or um, the, the common Christian response that I've heard many times is if you, say, if you don't say ghosts are fake, you say that if every ghost, every supernatural experience or what people would call ghosts, most Christians would say that is a demon. So anytime somebody has experienced anything supernatural as far as, um, you know, someone saying, oh, this was a ghost or that was a ghost, well, that would be a demon. That's what most Christians say. But I- I'm not convinced of every single experience being a demon. Now, why am I not convinced of that? Well, let me give you a few stories and a few examples Um and, and I don't want to just use experience because if I were to say, you know, well, I've heard of a lot of experiences where, you know, blah, 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 that, that doesn't matter. What matters here is the scripture and that matters with anything. You know, we need to look back at the scripture and we need to determine what does the scripture say about ghosts. Now, ghosts, our definition of ghost um, when anybody talks about ghosts, they're usually talking about the idea that when somebody dies, they're hanging around a place, right? For for whether it's forever or a certain amount of years, but somehow their spirit has stayed a- around. That's the idea of what a ghost is. Now, when we look at the Bible, what do we what do we understand about that that definition of a ghost? Well, in Hebrews nine twenty seven, we see it's very clear. It says people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So this idea that a ghost is somehow somebody who kind of has to work through some issues before they can move on, that's not lining, that does not line up with Scripture. You know, that idea that there are people's spirits floating around that, you know, they, they have to wait before they get to heaven or maybe, you know, maybe they, they get to hell or whatever, that's not what the Bible says here. It says that they're to die once and they don't get to float around and kind of hopefully work through some things and make it in. It says after that they face judgment after they die. So we know that's it. You know, this life is it. 
you don't get another chance or you don't get to float around in, in your old house and, and scare people or, you know, try to try to talk to them or whatever. So we know that ghosts are not dead humans that get another chance to float around. It's just not possible. The Bible does not leave us that opportunity. But for us to jump in to say, well, okay, well, what else could it be? It's got to always be demons. That does not make sense to me either. Now, let's pause here. Um, I, I know that this is, a, this is a big topic, and we're not going to solve it in any way today. Again, there's a big question mark for me on a lot of this, because let's take a look at 1 Samuel 28. And if you have a Bible, of course, you can turn there if you're listening um, from a car or somewhere else. Um, you know, you, you can just listen along. But it's in 1 Samuel 28, and uh, the story, in at least in the NIV, is titled Saul and the Medium at Endor. And we're not talking about Star Wars Endor here. I always think that every time I hear Endor. Um, but we're talking about, you may have remembered, you may remember this story. It's a pretty uh, popular story here. And it kind of starts out, and it reminds me of the same way that A Christmas Carol starts out. Remember that? Remember, uh, Marley was dead. Marley was dead to begin with. And then he says something like, Charles Dickens said something like, if you don't remember that, nothing of what follows will seem miraculous or supernatural or whatever, right? Because you have to understand that Marley was dead to begin with before you find out that, hey, now Marley's walking around in the house. Something creepy's going on here. So in the same way, this story of the Bible kind of reminds me of that, that Christmas carol story. It says here in 1 Samuel uh, 28.3, now Samuel was dead. We need to remember that point. Samuel was dead to begin with, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. So he's dead and buried. It says, Saul the king had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. And the Philistines assembled, and it says in the next few verses, you know, Saul had some troubles and things like that. He was afraid because he saw this army. So he inquired of God. He asked God what to do. And in verse 6, it says, God did not answer him by dreams or Urim or the prophets. God was silent. He didn't hear anything from God. So Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. So Saul decides to go and consult a psychic. Now, psychics, right? I mean, every single psychic that I I see a sign for, I, I just think, wow, they're just ripping people off. They're, it's fake. That's That's my belief on most if not all, psychics that I'm going to drive down the street and see having a business on the side of the road. But it's not the answer for everything, right? And we would say, again, the, the Christian response would be, well, well, you know, if psychics are, aren't fake, then they're using demonic powers to summon up demons that pretend to be, that masquerade as your friends. So that's what we might expect to, to you know, see here in the story. He goes and says, let me find this, find me a medium, find me a psychic. I'm going to go ask her about what to do about this scary situation with the, you know, with the, with the army. And so they said, there's one in Endor. And so he disguised himself because he was the king. He disguised himself and he put on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up the one for me that I name." But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. 
When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now we know uh, from, from previous stories, Samuel was the prophet of God that spoke to Saul about both good and bad things in his life. He, he always was there to speak for God. And so since he was dead to begin with, remember he was dead and buried, suddenly Saul says, well, I need to talk to him. I'm going to go to a psychic to speak to his spirit. Well, the woman didn't recognize Saul at first. You know, the king had said, if I find any psychics, I'm going to kill him. So she didn't recognize him. And she says, okay, I'll trust this random guy. But when she sees this old man, Samuel, now she knows, okay. She says, all right, something's, something's going on here because I recognize this was the guy with the king. And then she looks at the guy's face and it is the king. So she's scared, right? Because, so he says, you don't have to worry. The king says to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And she said, I see a ghostly figure coming up from the earth. And he says, well, what does he look like? And she said, an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed down and laid himself, he prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And then the next verse says, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? <clears throat> Excuse me. Saul said, I am in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me. God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? And so then he, of course, tells him everything. Samuel uh, goes on and tells him what to do about the, the armies and the bad news that is going to be coming. But here's the crazy part. The story doesn't say, well, there was a demon came up masquerading as Samuel. Um, it doesn't say, you know, the psychic woman, she was a fake or that she was summoning demonic powers. It's crazy here because the story does not follow the same, you know, cookie cutter outline that we would assign to these sorts of situations. We, we know very clearly from the Bible that communicating with the dead is wrong. We know for sure that trying to communicate with spirits of any kind is not sanctioned by God. So this isn't a passage to say, well, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, King Samuel, he talked to, or King Saul, he talked to his friend Samuel, and it seems as if, you know, uh, it's okay. No, that's not what this passage is saying. Saul was, did a lot of very wrong things, and this was one of them. But the crazy part of the passage is that he actually speaks to Samuel here. Now, I, I can't, I don't have any answer for that. You know, I can't, um, I can't put my finger on how this is possible except for the fact that this is an exception to the rule because this is really the only place that I can find or that I'm aware of where we look and we see that God is allowing somebody to speak to a spirit of the dead. Now we see, of course, Jesus uh, on, on the mountain. He had Moses and Elijah were there, but that doesn't really seem to be like a ghost or a spirit, you know, coming out of the ground. That seems like a totally different experience entirely. So in this case, this is one of these only times that I see, you know, someone was dead to begin with, as dead as a doornail, and now they're coming up out of the ground, this woman says, and she sees an old man dressed in a robe, and it's kind of like one of those creepy horror movies, you know, you, you're sitting around with the crystal ball type deal. And, and, and so we get this idea that for me, when I, when I look at this and I see all of these situations cannot be always explained by simply saying, well, it's always demons or, well, it's always, you know, 
fill in the blank. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. In the same way, if we look at Luke 24, you know, this was after Jesus had come back to life. And uh, many times throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, the disciples, you know, for example, saw him walking on the water and they thought he was a ghost. And he said, I'm not a ghost. And so this is similar. Now, he appeared to his disciples in, uh, in Luke 24, and this is in verse 36. He, they were talking about stuff, and Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. It says, They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So, this raises all sorts of questions for me because, again, when we're talking about ghosts, um, it seems to me it would be much more simple for Jesus to say, whether it was the time they were walk- he was walking on the water or even right now, instead of saying, hey, a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood, it would have been easier, I think, for him to say, you guys know ghosts aren't real. You know, ghosts, that's not something in reality. So, um, you know, you don't need to think that I'm a ghost because that doesn't make any sense. I'm a real person standing in front of you. You know, he didn't say that. He never denied the existence of ghosts. He just said that he wasn't one, right? So it raises those questions for me again to say, I I have to rule out that point of view that says, well, they're just not real. There's no reality to it. It's it's just all in the person's mind. That that does not seem scripturally correct, nor does it seem to make logical sense to explain all of the things that people have experienced over the years, um, both creepy and non-creepy things that have happened. But again, I don't know if there's any answer um, to the second part of the question. Once we say, okay, there is something out there. There is something that is going on in our world, and many of it, I think, can be explained by, you know, demonic activity, by demons even masquerading as light. You know, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, that sort of thing. But it doesn't explain some situations to me that just seem to, I can't find any purpose in a demon doing something such as, uh, I, I wish I came up with that, I wish I had an example thought of beforehand, but... It just doesn't explain everything to me. The answer that that Christians have have used for many years does not explain every situation to me, um, and it doesn't seem to make any sense. Now, again, if you have any thoughts on this, please call in. Uh, maybe you you say, well, I remember this passage, or um, I'd like to to tell you what my thoughts are on this. I would love to hear that, and we can we can follow up in another um, episode, maybe on this topic. Um, but again, I do want to stress, if you're listening and you say, well, you know, I, I think it's okay maybe sometimes to just kind of get involved a little bit. Maybe go to a psychic, just check it out, see what it's about, or maybe use the Ouija board. Well, I need to be really clear with you. Um, communicating with the dead is is not right according to God, first of all. Um, God, as seen in the Bible, in the scriptures, is the source of our info. So no matter how you're finding it, whether through a psychic or whatever, if you're going to other sources to find your information— um, we, we can say 100% without a doubt from Scripture that that is not right, that you're doing something that is actually a sin. Um, and not only that, but a second step on there of, uh, you know, maybe some, a lot of people avoid psychics because of the, the fake part out there. But many people um, have gotten involved with that Ouija board because it's seen as something very simple and very safe. 
It's a simple, uh, it's simply, it is made out of cardboard and it has a little plastic piece. You may, uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, it has a bunch of uh, letters, every letter in the alphabet, and then it has a yes and a no. And uh, what you're supposed to do is get your friends together and you put your fingers on the, on the Ouija board, on the little um, plastic piece that has a little window on it. And it moves around, supposedly, it moves around by itself, right? And it goes to different letters. And it, you ask it a question, oh, who am I going to marry? And it spells out the answer, whatever, right? It's, and, and many people look at it as, oh, well, that's just a kid's game. Because you could go to Toys R Us right now and you can buy this game. And hey, you know, it's just made of a plastic and, and uh, you know, cardboard. It's not a big deal. And maybe you've used it yourself and you say, I, you know, I just pushed it around. It's just, a, it's just a gimmick. It's just for fun. But what's interesting to learn is that not only many Christians are against the Ouija board, but many, um, many people who are not spiritual in the sense of, uh, of, of believing in God or Jesus or anything like that, many people who, who just have an understanding of the Ouija board are also against it. I'll give you an example. My friend, um, who he doesn't really know what he believes in. He says he's kind of in the middle. He doesn't know if there's a God, if there isn't. But he, he has told me many times he would never use a Ouija board again. And if he, if he had a friend that had one, he would, he would take it from their house and risk the consequences of being called a thief. Because he, he said there is no reason that anyone should risk themselves by having a Ouija board because they're extremely dangerous. And he learned this from personal experience. Now, the facts tell us those who have done the studies on Ouija boards and possession, those who believe in possession, believing that it is possible to be possessed by a demon, tell us that Ouija boards are the fastest way to become possessed. And I've done a little research on um, that whole topic, and I found out that the way Satan works, the progression, the normal progression, is that a person uses a Ouija board, and again, that spells out letter by letter, and eventually, there's something called automatic writing that a person will put a pen to a paper and their hand will move on its own, guided by what is a demon, and will write out the answers in a faster way to their questions. And that's just, you know, one step away from possession. And so if you're out there and you say, oh, I don't know if I believe in all that. Well, we see in the Bible, people were possessed. There were demons uh, possessing people. We have to be careful when we get into, again, there's, there's some fun things, okay, the, the trick-or-treat, whatever, but when we get into this time of a year and we start to think about all oh, the, the scary movies and the, you know, the haunted house stuff, and you know, we have to think about where this stuff is coming from. We do have to ask ourselves these questions because, well, again, I don't have the answer to all of what these ghost situations and experiences are. I have to ask myself, what could it be if it's not humans? You know, and I have to say, am I willing to risk communicating with something? You know, am I willing to risk that? A apart from the fact that God said it's wrong, am I willing to, to risk communicating with something that, that very likely could be a demon? And of course, I think that's just too risky. I think that we don't want to get ourselves involved in that. And we, we wouldn't want to open up your kids to something like that. So if you have a Ouija board at home and you thought, oh, it's not a big deal, I would ask you to do the research on it. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of books, plenty of resources, even just free stuff online that you can read about and that you can look into and, and find out the truth about the Ouija board uh, and about communicating with spirits in these types of ways. Now, um, again, that's, this is a deep topic. This is a serious, uh, deep topic that, I mean, there's so many different things that we could discuss. 
um, and talk about here. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers, this will be maybe for some of the older listeners, the old um, half cartoon, half live action show, McGee and Me. Do you remember that? Um, It was all the actors were live action, but then there was a little cartoon character, McGee, and he would always run around and get into trouble. Well, the author of uh, or the, the creator of that show was named Bill Myers. And uh, there's a really great series out by Bill Myers um, for for youth called the Forbidden Doors series that touch on all of these different issues. And it's a fictional series, um, but it touches on the reality, the true facts of all of these topics as we're talking about ghosts or, um, you know, uh, psychics and all of this, it really, if your kid is it says, hey, I might be interested in this, I, I would really recommend that they read those books, the Forbidden Doors series by Bill Myers, because it's a Christian guy, and he's writing that you, you see the truth, and you see um, kind of the unfolding of, of how these things are masquerading as good. Um, but he's also written some adult books, and I don't have the titles of those right in front of me, um, but he's written some adult books that kind of bring back the layers and and show some of those statistics that I was referring to earlier on, you know, the studies that have been done on some of these topics. So um, I want to wrap up our discussion today on that because, again, I would like to have a discussion with somebody about it instead of me just talking. Um, I would like to have somebody on it sometime and and we could kind of go back and forth and ask each other questions or kind of get deeper into some of these spiritual topics um, and not only on the you know supernatural, uh, dark supernatural side kind of an idea, but I also would like to talk about the supernatural in the future, um, as far as God's side and as far as miracles happening today, you know, coming from God and those types of things. I'd like to discuss that on a future episode as well. Um, but before we go. And if you want to end the episode now, that's fine, because um, I know some people get get kind of spooked easy in things. But I do want to, you know, tomorrow is Halloween. And for those of you who say, hey, you know what, I understand. I'm not going to be a part of, um, you know, doing the Ouija board and, and getting involved in, you know, talking to psychics. But I do like to, you know, watch a scary movie or, you know, do something like that. I, I think that's fine. For those of you who kind of like doing creepy stuff, I do want to tell you, a story about the scariest thing that ever happened to me. Um, and uh, so those of you who don't want to listen, now's the time to turn it off. Um, and maybe you won't be too scared by this story. People will say, oh, it's not a big deal. But to me, even to this day, um, it, it's the scariest thing that ever happened to me. Now, there's a two parts to this story. <clears throat> the first part is when I was younger. I was probably a junior, maybe a, maybe even younger in high school. And uh, my friend had come over, and we went out and we saw a scary movie. You know, I think we saw The Ring or something like that. Remember the one where the woman crawl, the scary woman crawls out of the TV, and you probably you may have seen that one. But we were kids, you know. We went and we saw it late at night in the theater, and and we came back and we thought, oh, we got to do something else scary, you know. We as kids, you're always trying to scare your friends and stuff. So I, I, you know, was looking around and I found out that, you know, a couple miles down the road from my parents' house was this old graveyard. And this was probably about midnight. You know, we were, I was, I thought, well, I'll go down with my friend Aaron after the movie. We'll go check out the old graveyard and we'll just walk around. And this isn't like a big cemetery. There's probably maybe, you know, 75 to 100 stones out there. And it's kind of in the middle of the woods. Um... And it's it, all of them are 100 years or older. It's called the Covenanteer Cemetery, and it's very, very old. So we decided, you know, I thought it'd be just kind of creepy walk around a cemetery at night. You know, as kids do. It's just something stupid. So we went over there, and uh, 
we parked down, you can't drive into the cemetery. It's again, it's kind of in the woods. It's a little different from most cemeteries. So you park down on the, along the side of the road and they have these big posts um, so the cars can't drive in. And then there's a little trail that goes um, up a hill uh, uh, um, onto this kind of peninsula area where uh, the cemetery is. Now I say peninsula because of course on the one side of the land you're coming up from the road. The other three sides are essentially a big steep ravine that goes down um, and it goes on two sides down into the woods and on the other side it would lead back out towards, you know, if you were to go down the ravine and out you'd get back out to the road again. So, um, so it, you're up on this little you know, platform of land, this peninsula of land, and you're surrounded on most sides by the woods. So we go in there and, you know, we're looking around and saying, oh, looking at some cool things. You know, wow, this is a, a hundred some year old gravestone. And my friend is, you know, he has kind of ADD a little bit, but when he's focused in on something, you know, it's hard to get his attention. So I was, you know, kind of creeping myself out. So I didn't want to get down on the ground and look at these stones. He was down there crouching down with a flashlight reading, oh, so-and-so, you know, oh, that was uh, 150 years ago, you know, reading these things. And I thought I heard some crunching in the woods. You know, I, I thought I heard down at the bottom of the ravine some crunching of some leaves. So I'm kind of getting creeped out. I said, you know, hey, Aaron, you, you, I think I hear somebody. I think I hear something. And every time I would say something, you know, he didn't respond because he's too busy looking at these stones. And I'm like, every time I'd say something, it would be quiet again. So I'm thinking, okay, first of all, it could be a deer, a chipmunk, you know, something like that, an animal. And I'm like, but it seems like it's getting closer. It seems like something's climbing up the side of the ravine. And every time I would say something, it stops. And it's really freaking me out. <laughs> so I keep saying things to him, and I hear crunch, crunch in the leaves. And then I, it would stop again. And all of a sudden, whatever it was, and I'm pretty sure it was a person because it sounded like footfall, not like a, an animal, but whatever it was, started running as fast as it could. Like it had been real quiet, crunch, crunch. Well, now it was like crunch, 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 crunch and flying up this hill. And it was just a split second. I can remember it like it was yesterday. My friend Aaron, he was crouched down still. He looked up at me. He didn't say a word. He just looked up at me. I looked at him. We didn't say anything. We just jumped he jumped up and we ran as fast as we could jumping over the gravestones all the way back to the car because we didn't want to look back and wait for this whoever this was to come up over the hill we got in the car peeled out drove home and of course you know it's just one of those crazy stories you say oh, okay that's creepy but not scary right well that's not the scariest thing that happened that was just the prologue <laughs> so years later Again, as you do, uh, you tell people those kinds of stories. And we were on my way back uh, to from uh, from Geneva College in Beaver Falls, where I went to school, and I was going back with my sister uh, back to my parents' house, and my, my roommate at the time, uh, he was going to spend the night as well. And we were going back really late at night. We had left Geneva late, and we were talking about scary stories for some weird reason as we were on our way home. And I said, oh, you know what? There, I haven't been back since I was a kid, but there was this cemetery and I told him the whole story I told my roommate the whole story of what had happened with Aaron when I was a kid and um, usually when you tell people those stories they say you know oh well, I want to sometimes they say well I want to go check that out I'm gonna go go see it so we decided we're gonna go there and and that night and see it at now as college students we're gonna go and check it out again around midnight so we're gonna go back and, and see this thing right 
So usually when you tell people these stories, and if you go back to those types of places, of course, nothing happens. And everybody says, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's very fun. You know, I'm sure something happened last time you were here and you look stupid or whatever. So I, it was actually okay with me because I, I didn't think, you know, oh, I'm going here and something creepy's going to happen or, you know, it, it was just a, a cemetery at night. You know, there's nothing scary about that. So we decided to go back and we pull in and again, walk up there and we're walking around and we're looking at different things again. And this time it's the three of us. And uh, we were probably there for about 20 minutes. I don't know what we were doing, just walking around and there's not much to see. So I guess we were... I, I guess, uh, you know, my roommate was looking for something scary to do. <laughs> but, you know, he's hoping something scary happened, I guess. I don't know. Because we just kept kind of killing time, just walking around out there. And all of a sudden, we heard this noise coming from down the ravine in the woods. And uh, I don't know how to describe this noise to you. I, I can try my very best. It was not a human uh, sound. There's no way a human could have made this noise. Um, and it's not any animal that I have ever uh, heard before or ever heard or, uh, you know, ever heard on any recording even or anything like that. It's not like any animal that I've ever heard before. Uh, if you had to describe it as, well, well what did it kind of sound like? It was like a, it was extremely loud. It was like a, an elephant's trumpet, but at the same time of a lion's roar. So you had this almost like a scream coming from the woods but it was it started out with a very low pitch like a ooh, like that low and then it went up to as high as the highest woman's you know could get in her pitch of a scream it started low it went high and so picture that kind of a scream but then add in the roar of a lion mixed in with that that was the noise we heard it was one of the loudest noises i've ever heard coming from the woods and it had to have been close it was right down off the ravine of this, this cemetery. And my, my roommate at the time, he was extremely fast. You know, he, was a, he had worked out a lot and was good at running and things. And my sister and I weren't really known for that. And so I said, do not leave. Like, I was like, we need to run together. We're not, going, we're not going off by ourselves. So we literally held hands, all three of us, you know, college students. We held hands running in a line back to the car, again, jumping over gravestones as fast as we possibly could, but we held hands so nobody went ahead and somebody was left behind. We wanted to make sure we were all together. And the, the, it reached its peak of the scream, if we want to call it that, and it echoed into the night. And then as we got to the car and started to open the door, it started out again with the, with the low pitch going up into the scream again. And I am telling you, we didn't see a thing, but we only heard the sound and when we got back to my parents' house five minutes later, my hands and my roommate's hands, remember, we're, we're college students. My, my, my roommate at the time, he was thinking of going into the army. He had a concealed carry permit. I mean, he's not the guy, kind of guy who gets you know, scared easy, but we were both shaking. Uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes after, just telling the story, we, our hands were still shaking just from hearing a sound. Like, I have no idea what that was. It was so terrifying. And so now this next part of the story, doing the research, we, we said, we got to figure out what this is. We did some research on it. And it turns out that there are recordings of this sound and they're always crappy recordings, which makes me really mad. I wish there was a clear recording. There are recordings of this thing and this thing has been called something. Now, when I say this, you're going to laugh. You're say, oh, well, very, very funny. But no, I'm serious. The thing that we heard that day 
is what most people would call Bigfoot. Or in Ohio, they, they call it the Ohio grass man because apparently he makes these grass huts in the woods or something. But I know Bigfoot, that sounds even more fake than anything we've been talking about today. That sounds even more fake than vampires or Frankenstein. And I don't know what I believe about that, about Bigfoot, about a big ape creature walking around. To me, it seems crazy to think that you know, they wouldn't have caught something that big, that people describe this big ape creature walking around. You know, we would have found one by now, right? Um, I have a friend that thinks that maybe the Bigfoot creature is actually a spiritual creature, that's some, some sort of spiritual thing going on. And I don't know anything about any of that. But what I do know is whatever I heard that day, if you, if you go and type in Bigfoot sounds, Bigfoot screams, you type that in and you lo listen to a recording, again, they're always really hard to hear. But you'll probably hear something very similar to what we heard that day, and it's not like any other animal that I ever heard in my whole life before. So even though it was just a sound, that was the scariest, hands down, scariest thing that has ever happened to me, scariest experience I've ever had. And I've been in a lot of, I love exploring abandoned places. I've been in a lot of what should be scary places. I've been in an abandoned insane asylum that exists in the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania. I spent the entire night at the uh, Shawshank Redemption Jail, which is an abandoned jail now, the Ohio Reformatory. Um, that, that was a, a thing where you can go in. You can actually pay to go in and spend the night and kind of explore at your own leisure every single aspect of it. Um, and it's pitch black. And so, you know, you think, well, that would be kind of creepy. But no, this sound, because of what it sounded like, hands down the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. What's the scariest thing that has ever happened to you? Um, I wanted to uh, ask you that as well. So let me know in the voicemail. Let me know on the uh, Facebook page. Um, and again, a little bit different of a, uh, a story today that we wouldn't normally go into or talk about here on FMC Radio. Um, but I did want to uh, just have a little bit of fun today. Um, not that that was any way fun when it happened. <laughs> but now looking back on it, it's a fun story to tell. I always say... I want to hear that. I never want to hear that sound in my whole life again, but I do. I want to hear it when I have a recording in my recorder in my hand. I want to get a clear recording of it. Oh, man, I wish I could play that back for you guys. Um, wow. Anyways, I should probably get going here, and we will see you next week for our discussion on, uh, well, I guess we just have to wait to come back next week and see what it is. But we've got some exciting stuff coming up. See you next week. Making the tombstones quake. Spooks come out for a and wake. Happy haunts materialize. And begin to vocalize. Grim, grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide. For a silly spook makes it by your side. Shrouded in a darkish hide. They pretend to terrorize. Grim, grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Climbs high over dead oak trees. Spooks arrive for the midnight spree. Creepy creeps with eerie eyes. Dark to shriek and harmonize. When we don't spot to socialize. When you hear the knell of a requiem bell. We're closing where spirits well. Restless bones etherealize. Rise as spooks of every size. <laughs> <laughs> When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, spooks does not persuade and wake. Happy hearts with chaos, and we begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes 
say don't try to hide Or a silly spook take it by your side Shroud in There's a little matter I forgot to mention. Beware of hitchhiking ghosts. <laughs> they have selected you to fill our quota, and they'll haunt you until you return. Now I will raise the safety bar, and a ghost will follow you home. <laughs> 